Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. First up, we'll take a look at the business stories making this morning's newspapers and indeed some of the stories online. Delighted to be joined by Louisa Meehan of Woodview HRM. Also joining us is birthday boy Bob Hoffman of Vista Executive Search. Good morning to you both and welcome. Hi, Bobby. Morning. Now, uh, we'll start with the front page of the Irish Times, Louisa. Uh, a majority want tighter immigration rules. Um, some interesting stats here uh, from this poll conducted by the Irish Times. Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed bag. What they're saying is that six out of ten approximately uh, want there to be a more closed policy when it comes to immigration, but that 48% think immigration is a positive thing for the country, 35% thinking that it's negative. Um, it is quite high in terms of individuals having concerns over refugees moving into their local area, with 69% having concerns, not necessarily saying that they don't want them to be there, but just having concerns in relation to that's it. That's two out of three now, that's so that's quite significant. That's the, that's the most significant statistic really in there, and I think it's that sense of happy to have them, but not sure about having them next door. Um, And I suppose the saddest piece for me in relation to this is that there are, well, certainly when the survey was done, which is quite recent over the last week, there were 834 asylum asylum seekers with no state accommodation. And if you're an asylum seeker, I'm guessing you don't have a family that you can go stay with. So that's just sad. I mean, it's cold, wet, horrible, miserable. (laughs) And these individuals, irrespective of their backgrounds, have not had a pleasant journey getting here. Um, and to think of them in a situation where they don't have some degree of safety is, um, that's sad. That's yeah. a very high number. It, it is, it does, it seems to be becoming more and more a, devi- a devi- divisive uh, topic, Bob. Um, but most of the objections appear to be on the grounds of the public service that we offer, that we don't, you know, that we're, we're, we don't have the resource to provide for the numbers of people because generally there feel there seems to be a feeling that immigration has been positive towards society and I would agree with that. We are a nation of immigrants. We of course we are. We sent two million immigrants around the world after the famine. You mentioned the word divisive. When the 100,000 Ukrainians came, there was nothing but positivity towards them. They were lovely people and of course they were genuine war uh, immigrants or, or, or fleeing from a war. I think it's the approximate 40,000 other immigrants have come in that people are labelling economic uh, refugees and they're the people maybe who are attracting some of this negative thing. Regards the country being full, there's a general commentary that the country is full. It might be full for housing and health and education, but regards the country physically, we're practically empty. We have one of the lowest population densities in Europe. We had 8 million pre-famine. We now have 5 million. So the country is empty, but it is under pressure with housing. Everybody yeah. can see that. So this, this consensus of Ireland is full. Ireland is full because we're not building enough houses and schools. Uh, and no. we're not using some of the houses that we have. Yeah. Okay, let's, that brings us neatly on to housing because the front page of the Irish Independent revealed new build housing gap dividing the country. Housing supply in regional counties is falling further behind the East Coast with vast disparities in new home stats in the last few years. Louisa. Yeah, look, I mean, this is really clearly demonstrating that there's a significant um, focus on housing in the East Coast. And when we're talking about the East Coast, really, it's Dublin and the commuter belt to Dublin and Cork County, which wouldn't consider themselves East Coast, but they're in there as well. All in the top 10 in terms of the number of houses being built 
or housing units being built per head of population living in those localities. The lower areas, the lowest is Roscommon with one in housing unit built per 648 versus one housing unit per 83 people in Dublin. So okay. there's a vast difference. Let me just stop you there. Does that actually mean anything? Because I mean, it, it's, to me, Roscommon and South Dublin are two very different places with two very different populations. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's simply taking the county versus the number of houses produced and by the number of people in the county. I'm not sure it's telling us, Anton. So I would agree with you in that sense of, you know, looking at the number of people there and the number of houses probably isn't the right way to do it. But I do think it's telling you that there is a significant focus on development of the East Coast and a lack of focus on the rest of the country. And going back to the comment around Ireland being empty, well, it isn't empty in Dublin, um, but it is. If you go across the country, it is. And we need to look at regional development programmes and we need to look at adequate housing for individuals because people do want to live in Roscommon. Roscommon's an amazing county. Um, I'm from Leitrim. Leitrim is one of the most beautiful counties in the world, let alone in the country. And yet it's sparsely populated because the jobs, the accommodation isn't there. I think one of the most telling uh, remarks in this article uh, from Caroline O'Doherty, she says, one expert said the government's aim of balanced regional development looks impossible and that Ireland is at risk of becoming a city-state like Luxembourg. But 15 years ago, I had a cup of coffee with Mark Fitzgerald, or Sherry Fitzgerald, and he said the most amazing statistic, now it's probably changed since, but 15 years ago, he said 50% of the value of all the property on the island of Ireland is on 1% of the landmass, i.e. Dublin City. Yeah. Maybe now that's 3 or 4%. Now, this is the buildings, not the yeah. land, right? So you can't have a country which is so slanted towards Dublin. I also think, though, you know, it's very hard to, to plan for this because, you know, the employment opportunities are in Dublin. The infrastructure is there. People, you know, may have family connections. So it's hard to sort of stop development in one place and promote it in another it is, but for every job that's placed outside of Dublin, I think that's worth to the economy twice as much as a job in Dublin because Dublin's creaking at the seams. Well, Wicklow Town, Bobby, I'm always going on about it. We've got 75 jobs coming in now with the operations and maintenance depot for the new Coddling Wind Farm. 75 jobs in Wicklow Town is the equivalent to three or 400 economically in the city. We need to have more jobs outside mm-hmm. where there's land for housing. But, you know, if you, if you speak to the IDA or, you know, similar organisations, organizations or, or or corporate entities they'll want to be near where the population is they'll want to be near where the where the transport hubs are the M50 the port like they're all things that influence where the jobs are created. Some companies don't need to be. Yeah. Some do. Clearly, Codling Wind Farm need to be near where, where the wind farm will be built. But you're right. Some companies need near to be uh, close to universities or Dublin Port. But a lot of them can be located anywhere in the country. Decentralisation yeah. needs to get back okay. on the Okay. Well, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Uh, 087 1400 106 if you want to send us a WhatsApp. Um, Louisa, interesting story by Ian Current in today's Irish Times around uh, Pepper Finance, which seems to be a business that everybody wants, uh, likes to dislike. Uh, They're a financial firm, but some of their mortgage customers are now facing a steep decline in interest rate after an 
inverted commas, error. What was this error? So there seems to be some sort of uh, processing error is what they're referring to. Basically, somebody didn't hit a button somewhere and two and a half thousand individuals haven't had the ECB increases that they should have had over the last 18 months. So rather than those being phased in over the period of time, they're going to get a sort of a big bang increase. Um, what's good in relation to this is that they are not clawing back any of those payments. So it's not going to go back in time and they are working with people in terms of putting repayment plans in place or looking at individuals who are struggling. I'm glad I don't work there because what's uh, particularly interesting to me is that the central bank has come out and talked about um, the priority in, in ensuring that they put Pepper, Pepper put in place an effective consumer-focused plan to support all affected customers. And having worked in financial services and seen regulators and central banks coming in when these things hit the news, um, that is not going to be fun for their governance department. Yeah. Bob? I just have a side note on this story. It's got the fingerprints of a well- run PR agency all over this. It's been handled very well. They've come out. They've been honest. Pepper Advantage Ireland fully understands and acknowledges the error and the challenges and concerns it may create for customers. They've been very transparent. They're offering a 60-day grace period before anybody's rates will go up. So look, mistakes happen. I think they've handled it well. And more importantly, they're not clawing back the interest, as Louise Well, said. lots of people may not like Pepper, but Bob... Hoffman certainly does, so uh, <laughs> well, it's always good to have different good. opinions <laughs> on this well done, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Now, some small firms uh, are welcoming the traffic changes. Now, there was a lot of debate about this during the week, but I just wanted to come back to it because I, I just think it's, it's, it's a very, very interesting and, you know, disruptive uh, to certain people, certainly what's happening with these proposed changes in Dublin City. Louisa, what are your thoughts on this? Look, I think this is, again, a quite a divisive issue. So, I mean, the basic premise here is that um, Dublin City Council are trying to reduce the number of cars going through the city, not cars coming into the city, but the cars going through the city. And here there's sort of, you know, some takes from two different business owners, both in the hospitality industry, one of whom is saying that they're going to feel very uh, nervous in terms of cars not going past because they feel quite scared if there aren't people around and what if things happen and when things go wrong it's people getting out of cars and helping them and another saying actually this is going to be brilliant because you're going to be able to have outdoor seating now I'm not sitting outside anywhere today but in the summer I do see that there can be a benefit to that so there's different views on it from the small business owners um, for those businesses that require you know products coming in or out or or services coming in or out, I think they're going to maybe find it yeah. particularly challenging. Uh, I, I have kind of mixed thoughts on this. One of the things that slightly bothers me is how do we know who's going through and who isn't? Mm. Like, where does that figure come from? How is that established? I'd, I'd actually like to know more yeah. about that. Good question. I have a kind of a bad feeling about how that feeling, how that stat is actually grounded. But you know what? You know, it, 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 the, the keys are choked up. There is gridlock there. But, you know, this is... I looked at Dublin City Centre last week. I walked from Pier Street uh, down onto O'Connell Bridge, down O'Connell Street, and I just thought we need to do something here because the city is just not what it needs to be in terms of a a, a safe place, a, a clean place, a place that I'd want to go and shop, yeah. go and go to the pub, it, it, it or be a tourist. Yeah, it needs, like it just it needs, it needs some serious love. 
Yeah, serious love. I think this story, the timing is interesting. Paris uh, this week passed a new law that SUV drivers have to pay 12 euros an hour to park. No one likes them either, Bob. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm not defending them, right? Um, of course, London has its congestion charges. This story is no surprise. We live in a, a, a 1,000 year old city that was designed during the horse and cart era. So, you know, we've got to be clear about this. This is a very sm- a small footprint that the council is talking about in the inner city. And every other city in the world is doing it. Again, an interesting side story. 90% of all trucks that go along the quays from 7am to 7pm are the Guinness trucks. And, and, and Louisa, maybe your thoughts on Guinness, because uh, there's an interesting sort of piece by Cantillon in today's Irish Times, which basically says, you know, years ago when Guinness built all the houses, they were the absolute corporate kings Uh, and and there's no way that some council would have taken them on now that basically the council is saying well Guinness are just like anyone else I mean now they are Guinness is no longer owned by Guinness it's owned by Diageo and I think that's part of it I mean I learned something in this story that in um, eight, the 1870s, Arthur Guinness purchased St. Stephen's Green and donated it. That's a huge thing to have done, but it's a very long time ago. And I think that's the problem. Guinness is now owned by Diageo. It is the same as any other business out there. And what they have said is that ni- more than 90% of the five axle lorries travelling on Bachelor's Walk from 7am to 7pm are from Diageo. Um, I was talking with my 13-year-old in first year and he's studying business about ethical decisions and ethical business dilemmas. And this strikes me as an ethical business dilemma, really, because they're talking about it in terms of increasing the safety for pedestrians, looking at small businesses, looking at cyclists. On the flip side, then there's the climate issue. And actually, by making the changes, the impact on the climate is worse because the amount of CO2 emissions are going to increase dramatically. So you have two very conflicting ethical decisions. Well, there's a piece on this later on in the show about those very uh, uh, ethical decisions. Mm. Again, you know, while you can maybe almost say, but, you know, at the end of the day, the publican still wants his kegs. So, you know, you can look at it from that point of view as well, saying, you know, if it's going to disrupt that. uh, As a HR professional, I don't think it's, you can't encourage businesses to have lone workers in a city centre, in a pub at three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning to, to get deliveries, because that's, bringing all kinds of risks. Just, Bobby, you and I are old enough to remember the Guinness um, boats that used to sail down the Liffey. Absolutely. Maybe that's the way to go. Copy with the days. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Bob, a gift card firm posting uh, profits of over 10 million. GVS uh, on post was formerly a shareholder. Staggering profits here. Yeah, this is a great company. One uh, for all gift cards. Everybody knows them. And I think they were the first. I mean, there's now five or six competitors, but they se- seem to be still the biggest at it. Their turnover for 2022 was 34 million. Their profit was 10 million. But a very interesting uh, statistic, Bobby, you and I spoke about it before the show. 208 million is tucked away in unused uh, cards. Uh, now Amazing. the company have the money set aside. Serious amount of money. That is a serious chunk of change. By by the way, um, we in Ireland now, I believe, have gone from uh, €1,000 a year for this uh, gift exemption, which these cards effectively are very popular for with employees, to now to €2,000. If I'm not mistaken, in the UK, it's £70. Wow, OK. So that's a good thing. It's a very generous uh, Louisa, thing. can I ask you then about uh, Veritas? Uh, again, some of our older listeners will certainly remember this as a company. Yeah, uh, I remember the shop on Dawson Street. Well, I had a shop just down the way from it. Uh, but the religious retailer Veritas to close 
as business prospect unlikely to improve. And unfortunately, you know, there are 80 people employed in this business. There are this, you know, this is, um, it's a sad story, regardless of whether you think religious paraphernalia should be distributed or not. This business has been in place since 1899. That is a long time. It was founded by the Catholic Truth Society of Ireland. I'm not sure that we had one. Um, and it was for distributing publications, religious materials and religious publications. And as you said, there are 80 people here who must be very committed to their jobs and really enjoy them. And by the end of this year, they will no longer have a job. There are seven retail units that are closing. And what they're saying is that income has dropped and costs have increased. Um, And what concerns me more is, I mean, this is a small retailer selling a niche product, really. Um, How many other small retailers selling niche products are facing the exact same issues because costs are increasing massively uh, for employers and for small business owners throughout the country. Um, yeah, so and what what becomes of those seven shops? What, exactly. Like what's w- going to go in? You know, is it is it more coffee shops? It, is it more? And, uh, is it more uh, uh, charity shops? What is it? Mobile phone shops? You know, you mentioned Bobby there about walking through the city. My favorite thing to do when I go on holidays in a city is to wander around and go in in and out of little shops that you can't get somewhere else. I don't want to go into H&M or Boots or whatever it is. And it's not that those shops aren't brilliant, they're brilliant. But when I'm somewhere different, I want to see something different. Of course you do. And that's part of the joy of travelling. Bob, are you going to be making pancakes next Tuesday? Well, on this particular story, I think we need to pass it over to (laughs) Louisa because apparently we have the president of the Irish Pancake Appreciation Society in our midst that we didn't know about. Over to you, Louisa. So, yes, I have two amazing sons who get pancakes before school every single day of the year. No way! Every day of the year. So I was just saying, I need to tot it up. Basically, what this is saying, it's costing me 3% more this year to last year. And if you include Nutella, which they also have every day, that is significantly more pricey, so coming in at nearly 7%. So I'm going to tot up how much extra it's costing to make the pancakes and I'll add it to their very long bill that they're going to get at 21 when they get a job. Um, I mean, look, I think what what it's really saying here is that basic ingredients, flour, egg, milk, sugar, they are inc- they've increased massively. And anybody who does the groceries in a household will have seen that and it's difficult. I think one of the ones that's dropped back down a little bit is butter because um, yeah. it went up just so much that you were looking at it going, do I really need it? But it's probably one of the ways, you know, and we, we joke about it and all that, but it it is a way of looking at, you know, food inflation. Like, it is food inflation. You can see it here and yep. you can see this is exactly what it cost last year. It's yep. going to cost you X amount more this more. year. But, you know, I remember talking to my granny who would have sort of been in the UK following World War II, talking about when they got butter, that they would sort of soften it up and mix in cream or, well, mainly milk to sort of make it go further. Stretch it. So we're not quite there, um, but it, it is a significant well, I have increase. to say, Anton Savage gave me some of his pancakes that were as pre- prepped by Gary O'Hanlon earlier. We didn't see those, Bob. They were absolutely gorgeous. You were too busy reviewing the stories of the week when I was eating the pancakes. I didn't even know what the ingredients <laughs> the pancakes was until this morning. Bob, um, finally then, it's uh, bad news for Valentine's Day. Couples can now get a six-year itch. Tell me about this. Okay, so this is an article in the Irish Daily Mail by Meg uh, Bryan. Now, I'm going on to this story like walking on eggshells. So the gist of it is that uh, couples stop giving Valentine Day gifts or cards at the six-year mark on average. And everybody knows the seven-year itch is when marriages or relationships come under a strain. <laughs> so again, continuing with the eggshell theme, men seem more eager to please their partners in February the 14th, splashing out almost twice as much as women. So men spend 50 
50 euros, women spend 27. And the stinger in the article is one in 10 over 65s will give or receive a raunchy present or card this Valentine's Day. Now, Bobby, I think if we dig behind the statistics here, we'll find that the vast majority of those raunchy gifts are actually cards and the minority would be classified under the bedroom toys. Well, the spar flowers will have to do, I'm afraid. That's, that's, a, that's <laughs> all I'm good for. Spar flowers. There you go. Uh, Louisa, uh, thank you very much for uh, a great you. review of the business stories. And Bob, indeed, happy birthday again. Thank you. And thank you. Happy for, birthday. And enjoy your weekend. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.